I lost dear friends. My father-in-law, Angie, lost our dad. And uh, the funeral was on, um, on Friday there. And we appreciate your love and your support. And, you know, so many of you have made really nice meals for us. And thank you so much. Um, I wouldn't come too close to me at the end if you want prayer. Joanne, I don't know where you are, Joanne, but you made an amazing meal, which was full of garlic yesterday. So if you fall over, if I pray for you at the end, it's not the Holy Spirit. Um, but it's, I mean, it's just been amazing just um, knowing God's presence, knowing your love, and uh, seeing God's hands on our family despite the tough, tough time we've been in. On Friday at the funeral, um, it was at the Belerno Parish Church. That's the church that he... And my mother-in-law still goes to there. Um, and the, the hall was packed. And I think it seats maybe 250 people. And then there was an overflow room, which was also packed, which I, th- I think sat another 150. So there's about at least 400, if not more, people standing around the... So hundreds of people went to uh, remember my father and to celebrate his life. And many of the people that were there were from his work environments. Um, he, he, had, uh, he was a doctor of physics. He'd lectured at Harriet Watt. He had uh, gone on to start a company that made lasers and stuff. Uh, and he had all this influence, and so many people knew him and were there to celebrate his life. And, and there was, some of the tributes were about people who had been impacted by his mean, demeanor at work, you know, people who had worked for him and said, do you know what, he, he was an amazing boss. He treated people well. He was a managing director of his firm. And his interactions with his colleagues were so positive. And the legacy and the life he lived in the workplace was so positive. Um, so it links very well those memories, those thoughts about father-in-law with what we're looking at today. Today we're going to be in the book of Genesis as we've been working through this series. And now we come to the life of Joseph. Now, if you've been following closely the book of Genesis with us, you'll know that there's a couple of chapters we're skipping ahead of here. For time's sake, we're not going to be able to every single chapter but we're coming to the major theme of Joseph's life. We're probably going to take three or four weeks looking at Joseph and different facets of his life. And today we're looking specifically at Joseph's work life and how God being involved in his life transformed how Joseph was in his place of work. Totally changed it. Journey so far. God engaged with a man called Abraham, a pagan man, who I don't know if he had any relationship with God up until that point, but God got a hold of his life and gave him a great promise. He believed God and went on a journey. One of the promises is that in his old age, he would conceive and have a child. Isaac was born. Isaac grew up, married Rebecca. They had two kids, Jacob and Esau. God's hand was so strong with Jacob. And Jacob married two women, not a good idea. And then, one's enough. And then uh, he... He, they have all these kids, 12 kids, who become the heads of the tribe of what we know as Israel. Now, uh, one of the children was Joseph. And you'll know from either Andrew Lloyd Webber or the Bible that Joseph had a, a multicolored coat. He was his father's favorite. And he had these dreams, which, and I believe God speaks through dreams. God can communicate in various and many ways. But one of the ways God speaks is through dreams that he stirs in our soul. Sometimes it's in the night or visions that we have, pictures that we have during daytime when we're wide awake. And God speaks to us about our destiny, about our purpose. And Joseph was all deeply stirred up by the sense that God had a purpose for his life. And by the way, whether you've had dreams or not, you can be deeply stirred up by the idea that God has a purpose for your life. Not one of you is an accident. You're not just an existing life thing. 
just here to take over and make ends meet. You're created in the image of God. He has a purpose for your life which he planned even before creation. He put you together in your mother's womb and he planned a life for you. Every single one of you has a great purpose. To glorify God, to make a difference, and to know God. And Joseph had this sense of calling. And But straight after these dreams, dreams that he would become a ruler, dreams that he would make a difference, he went from there into a life of, it seems like everything went wrong. His brothers, out of jealousy, sold him into slavery. He became a slave now in Egypt. They told his father he was killed by a wild animal, but they had secretly sold him into slavery. And he finds himself in the name of a a man called Potiphar. Now, what we're going to do is this very simply. There's three scenes in Joseph's life. Potiphar's house, the prison, and then the palace. We're going to go through the highlights of those three scenes. And in those three scenes, we're going to just bring out 10 tips about how your faith in God can transform how you are in your workplace. You got it? So let's go. Potiphar's house. Genesis 39 verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to, him, to his care everything he owns. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and all that he owns. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the fields. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Lord, I pray as we study Joseph for these moments, you'd speak to us. Help me to speak, help us to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but you ever found yourself in a situation that isn't the life you wanted to live? It's, it's not how you dreamt things was going to work out. Everything, it seems, has gone ra- wrong around you, and you're in this situation that is not the situation of your choosing. It seems like, certainly, it wouldn't be God's choosing either, and yet, you sense God is with you. Joseph didn't have much choice in what he was going through. It was, seemed like it was imposed upon him. And that's what it's like in a fallen world. We're in a fallen world where we're carrying dreams, we have a sense of God, and yet stuff goes on in our lives that doesn't look like the Lord. It doesn't look like heaven, looks like hell. It doesn't look like how things should go. It just looks like everything's falling apart. And yet in our souls, we know God is with us. So what do you do in those situations? Well, here's the first tip about how you exist in a life that isn't the life you chose. Number one is choose a good attitude. And this applies in your workplace. You might be in a job situation or outside of a job situation and you wish it was different. But you have a choice you can make. Choose a good attitude. He couldn't change his situation, but he could choose his attitude in the situation. He could have complained. He could have spent his time thinking, I shouldn't be here. 
I'm, I'm the son of a wealthy man. I should be living back in Canaan, the promised lands, with my father. And yet instead, I, I'm here as a slave. He could actually, in the, in the negative situation he found himself in, he could have just gone around dragging his heels, moping, and really not making the most of anything. Some of you have been there. You've been in a situation that isn't the ideal situation. And instead of choosing good attitude, you just dragged your heels and complained. Joseph chose good attitude. Victor Frankl in the, in the Second World War during the Holocaust speaks about a moment where uh, he was taken into a concentration camp. He was stripped of everything he owns. And eventually, at gunpoint, an SS officer told him to give up his last possession, his wedding ring. Into his mind flashed in that moment, and he writes about it in his book, After the War. He says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, to choose one's attitudes in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. So you find yourself in a situation that isn't of your choosing, and yet you can still choose your attitude. Chuck Swindle, Charles Swindle said this, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. Apparently there's a story of um, a tourist being taken to Robert Burns' house that he was born in and he grew up in. And it, the house is in this an amazingly picturesque environment. And the tourist said, looking at this amazing environment, said, it's no wonder he was a poet. And the tour guide said, sir, there's been many children born here since Robert Burns, but none of them were poets. And you see, we think that our environment is what makes us who we are. Whether it's a really good environment, you've had all the opportunities possible, and you think that's your guaranteed passport to success. Or whether you've been in a terrible environment, and you feel like you're Rugs being swept out from under your feet, and you just think, I can't make this. But the truth is, your environment, it does affect you, but it doesn't need to determine how things turn out at all. Rather, your choice before God's and the hand of God upon your life has everything to do with where you end up. So you choose good attitude in your workplace. So, tip number two is, gotta learn to go the extra mile in your workplace. And you see this in Joseph. Commit to do more than you're asked and better than expected. I don't know what Potiphar would have expected from a slave, but you've just bought someone. They are now your property. You know they've probably been taken from a secure family situation. You know they probably don't want to be there. You know that they're out of necessity. I mean, you don't expect much from them. All you probably expect from them is dutifulness. Do this, and they do it, and they know the threat if they don't. That's all you can expect from a slave. And yet, what did Potiphar get from Joseph? He got more than he asked for, and far greater than he expected from Joseph. It was phenomenal. See, if you're paid the minimum wage, and you're doing more than expected, what's your boss going to do? Okay, some bosses might just take advantage of it, and you treat you like rubbish, in which case change jobs if you can. But most bosses sees a person, they're being paid the minimum wage, and they're doing far more than being paid for. If I was that boss, I'd be thinking, 
got to hold on to this person. Got to give them a pay rise. Got to give them more opportunity. And that's sort of what was happening with Joseph. It says in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. In fact, you can read it with me. One, two, three. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. My friend, Andrew McSorley, uh, who's actually a great Bible teacher, I knew him years ago in a church in Glasgow. He is also an engineer, uh, and he, he told the story of when he went for his job, and he turned up at the job interview, and uh, the, <clears throat> the, boss sat, the guy who was going to be his boss sat him down, and, and he talked about his CV and talked about his previous experiences and, and so on. And then he noticed in the CV that he was involved in a local church. And he said to Andrew McSorley, so you're a Christian? And Andrew, my friend, said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And he said, okay, and I see you're, you're pretty involved in a local church. How will being a Christian and being involved in a local church affect your work life? I guess, now, Andrew McSorley didn't know this, but the boss was a Christian. He didn't tell Andrew this, but the boss was a Christian, and he's thinking, are you one of those Christians who's just going to be last in the door and first out the door, kind of disrupting work life and calling it grace, but just being downright lazy. You know, he's thinking that. Anyway, Andrew McSorley said, uh, being a Christian will mean that whether you're watching me or not, I will be working hard because I'm not working. I wouldn't be working for you anyway. Being a Christian means I will always operate with integrity. I will not lie to you. I will treat other colleagues with respect. I will go the extra mile. I won't be the last in the door and the first out. Rather, I'll work my hours well. That's what being a Christian will mean for me in this. And he got the job. He offered the job. And I I reckon that's what it should mean. It should mean uh, going the extra mile if you're a believer in Jesus. You see, Jesus was a carpenter. Now, we don't often think about that. We often focus on the the last three years of Jesus' life, his ministry. But before that, he was a carpenter. Question, what kind of carpenter do you think Jesus was? I think he's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I, I suspect he, he worked hard. I suspect you probably wouldn't get ever <laughs> a better carpenter in the whole world, ever. You know, I'd, I'd, he wouldn't make you a chair that was dodgy and you kind of fell, fell over and maimed yourself on it, you know. Or you, you turn up at one of Jesus' jobs and the, you open the door and the door handle comes off. And you say, oh, I'm not going to hire that Jesus again. Or he doesn't, you know, he, he overcharges you, charges hours that he didn't work right? That's not going to be Jesus, right? You tracking? So I know that's not in the Bible, but I'm just guessing. That probably wasn't how Jesus operated. My guess is that you could not have got a better carpenter, someone who was just on time, doing the job, doing it well, and having a great attitude. And I think God wants us to be the same. How can you prepare for your future? Do what you would do in the future today. Some people say, well, when I'm in another job, then I'll give it everything. Or when I make more money, then I'll be generous. And they always put off till another situation to live the life they really know they should be living. But the key is this. If you don't do it now, you won't do it then. Rather live now the life you want to live then, and then you're aligning yourself up for your future life right now. Good football coaches will tell their teams to live in the moment, to live in the now. They'll tell their football players, okay, forget the bad tackle, forget how the first half went, 
Forget the shot that missed target. Live in the moment. Live in the now. It doesn't matter how the game is going. If you live in the now and live in the moment and do the best in this moment, we're lining ourselves up for success. I have a dream for this church. You know, I, I believe we're, we're the, best, the best days are so ahead. The dreams we've got in our souls are so exciting. We're, we're excited about not just the two campuses we've got. Uh, we're excited about the dream God has put in our hearts for another four locations starting in the city. Next one starting next year. It's so exciting. It is repre- it, I was up visiting a friend in Aberdeen last week. Last week, and uh, they, their church had gone from 150 people four years ago to they had 675 people there two weeks ago, or last Sunday. And and in any one of their services, they have about 100 to 150 people, 200 people at the most. They've just gone into five locations, and as they've gone into five locations, they've connected with people that they, they would have never have connected with before. So I'm excited about our church in terms of Sunday gatherings and impact. But do you know what thrills me is the idea that not just that we're not just doing this spiritual thing on a Sunday. What thrills me is that our church would have a legacy that would impact and transform families and a city. That your lives would, would, would behind the scenes, you're extra mile people. You're living the life of God in the now, in your home, in your work, and at church. You're living the life of God, not just in public, but behind the scenes, you're the real deal. That when you say, yeah, I'm a believer. I happen to go to a church called Destiny Church. They say, wow, we want to employ you. Because when you're at work, you're a blessing to your colleagues. You're great to your clients. You're treating people who are below you in terms of rank so well. And you're treating those who are ahead of you, bosses and employers, with deep respect. That your attitude just reeks of Jesus. And that the blessing of God is all over you. And that through you and through power of God in our lives, a city is transformed. We're living with an eternal view, not for the now. We're living for so much more than a wage. We're living for the glory of God. So tip number three is this. Know your ultimate boss. And this gives ultimate motivation. Colossians 3 verses 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord. Not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Transform the way you view your job, your day job. It's not for the boss. It's not for the government. It's not, there's a bigger agenda for your work life. You work unto the Lord. So in other words, you don't go to work. Rather, you go to worship on Monday morning or whenever it is you go. You don't go to work. You go to say, I don't go to work. Thanks, three of you. I say, I don't go to work. I go to, you go to worship. Because before God, your nine to five or whatever it is you do is an act of worship to God. And for, by the way, you were created to know and worship God. If you're here today and, I don't know, maybe you're an atheist or you're just distant from God or you haven't thought much about God, wow, there is a God who loves you. And the reason you've got this ache in your soul and you're not satisfied with life, no matter how much you get out of this life, is that you're never going to be satisfied until 
you come back to the purpose you were created for in the first place, to live in a relationship with the God who gave you life. Live for him who gave his everything for you on that cross and in his resurrection. Live for Jesus. Live for the Lord. And sure, apply it to eternity, but apply it to your work life as well. And when you understand that God sees, it transforms the way you are. Because then you won't just be working when the boss is watching. So I saw this little cartoon and it was of a boss standing behind the employee and saying, why weren't you working? And the employee turned and said, I didn't see you coming. But you see, when you understand that I'm working for God, then it doesn't matter whether your earthly boss is watching over your shoulder or not. You're serving the Lord. Then we get to scene two of Joseph's life, the prison. Let's go back to the verses. Genesis 39, verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, the master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And he refused. Verse 19. So I'm skipping a load of verses, but a load of verses is a load of pain and a load of intense temptation, which we'll look at in future weeks. And it was, it was relentless temptation, daily temptation, and he refused and he walked with God. And verse 19, um, well, she fabricated a thing that she tried to basically seduce him and he refused again and she accused him of trying to rape her. And this is what it says, verse 19. When his master heard the story his wife has told him, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners are confined. So remember Joseph's master, Potiphar? Uh, Potiphar was one of the king's officials. So he had authority to put his own servants in the king's very own prison. Joseph was now 27, 28 years old. He was 17 when he went to Potiphar's house. He'd been there 11 years. And now he's put into prison. He's, just, he's been abandoned by his brothers. He's now been abandoned by his boss, whom he, all he had done is shown respect to. And he's in this bad situation again. And this comes tip number four. Continue to do the right things, even if it produces the wrong results in the short term. There's a Psalm, Psalm 73. We looked at it a number of months ago. And it says in verse 13, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. You could probably empathize with that. Where you've been in situations where you, you were doing the will of God. You were just doing the right thing. And yet what was coming back to you wasn't thanks. In fact, what you faced was persecution. You, you were trying to be a blessing. You were trying to help, but it seemed like nothing you could do worked. And it seemed like only in return you faced trouble and hardship. And this is where perseverance kicks in. And Joseph had this in, it, by the ton loads. It, he continued to do right things even when it produced wrong results in the short term. I love what Bishop Abel Mazurawa said, he said, people are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish and ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness will make you vulnerable 
be honest and frank anyway. The biggest person with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest person with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. When you spend your years building, it might be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need your help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have got, and you might get kicked in the teeth, but give the world your best anyway. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You've got to persevere. As long as you know it's what God wants you to be, you've got to persevere, and you've got to keep walking with God, and He will see to the results. Let's go back to the verses. Verse 18, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Now, we've seen that phrase umpteen times already in Potiphar's house. Now, it reoccurs again. The Lord was with him. He showed kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So, the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. It's pretty good going for a prisoner, right? Here, prisoner, here's the keys. Look after your mates. I don't think that happens that often at Stockton. It's funny, I know Bob Ackroyd, he's, he's a free church minister in the city and he works often in Stockton. And I was at a minister's meal thing the other night there and Bob was there and someone said, oh, I said, do you know Bob? I said, oh yeah, I know Bob. Bob works at Stockton. And Bob said, yeah, I know Pete. Half, his, half Pete's members are at, at, at Stockton. <laughs> so that's cool. So, so we already have three campuses, Stockton. Anyway, um, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all, all that was done there, and the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. I mean, this, folks, is absolutely miraculous. I mean, isn't it incredible? He's been in charge of the prison as a prisoner. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Tip number five, live with an awareness of God's presence. Seven times in these verses it says, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success. That's the, that's the key. And Joseph lived with this awareness of God's hand upon him. Question, did God choose to be with Joseph because he had such a good attitude? Was it, wow, Joseph's showing great attitudes, I'm going to get alongside him? And reward him with my presence? Or wasn't it rather that God's presence was with Joseph even when he was potentially a little bit arrogant as a teenage lad with his father and his family? You know what? God came into my life when I was a dropout. When I was uh, at school, to be honest, my grades were average if or below average. Every parents' night, my parents, I, I go to my own kids' parents' nights these days. And I, I, I walk out with my jaw hanging. I think, wow, where did these kids come from? Because the teachers are saying, oh, they're doing so well. They've got such great attitude. I think, wow, Lord, thank you. They're not reaping what I sowed. Because that, honestly, my, my parents, like every, every time my parents, I, I would dread the conversation after parents night. Because every time it was, he could try harder. He could try harder. But then I got saved when I was 15. God came into my life. The Lord was with me. And it's amazing. I didn't, 
I can't even remember making a conscious choice to change. But I started working harder. I started treating my teachers with respect. I didn't fight as many people at school. That helped. And different things happened. And I suddenly got the grades. I got to university, studied architecture, uh, which was the perfect preparation for me to leading a church. (laughs) The obvious route. But you know, it's amazing that God became, he moved into my life and then things changed. And I, I, I believe that God wants to move into your life. I don't care what your track record's been like. I don't care if you've been, you know, good attitudes, your attitudes stunk, right? And going the extra mile, no way, you've stolen from your boss, right? But God, by his grace, can come into your life. And as you live with an awareness of him in your life, all of a sudden your life changes. Things change, things are transformed. It's amazing. And when God changes you, it changes the way you view work. When God comes into your life, it changes everything. Folks, I am a secure individual. I'm very secure. You could criticize me. You could pull me down. But it won't touch my soul. It might momentarily touch my soul. But it won't touch my soul fundamentally. It's happened tons of times. Why am I so stable? Because God is so stable. Honestly, I don't find my identity in me. If I did, I would be devastated. I'm all over the place. I'm a sinner. I've made tons of mistakes. Lots of people don't like me, right? Stuff goes down. I would be all over the place. But I have learned, I'm so clear in this. The only reason I'm acceptable before God is everything to do with Jesus. My identity is in him. And therefore, he doesn't change, so therefore, I am secure. It's not like, I've got it all together, I'm secure. It's, he's got it all together. He happens to be my savior. He's so good, not me. He's come into my life. The Holy Spirit's in me. It doesn't matter what you say. That doesn't change anything what, beyond what God has said. My destiny is secure. My present is secure because God is in my life and in your life too if you trust in Jesus. So all of a sudden, you're not affected in the same way as as you, as you maybe outside of God would have been. I love what Tim Keller said. He said, when work is your identity, success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. But don't let your identity be in your work. Don't let your identity be in your financial status, your marital status, or anything else, good or bad, that's going on in your life. Come to God, trust in Jesus who died for you and rose again. And let him form in you a security and a backbone in your soul that comes from him, not from you. It says, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, How did God's presence with Joseph manifest? You know, we're reading it. We know the Lord was with Joseph because it says it in the Bible. But to the prison warden looking at Joseph, and maybe to Potiphar looking at Joseph, what was it they, they saw? Bear in mind, all these bosses were ungodly bosses, right? All ungodly bosses. How did they know the Lord is with Joseph? Was it like an aura? Kind of ready break glow around Joseph? Was that what it was? Was it that everywhere he went, he said, praise the Lord? Did he have a huge big Bible? Right? What was it? about Joseph that made him stand out. The 
the answer's coming to us on the phone. <laughs> Whose phone is it? Is it yours, Vasilis? Say hi. No, okay. So the answer didn't come from there either, so I will now return to my notes. I, I, you know what I think it was? I think his life was starting to reflect God's attributes. I think his life was starting to shine. Folks, oh, being a Christian in my workplace, yeah, I, I need to tell everyone that, praise the Lord. I need to have this aura. People just sense the Lord on me, right? They might think you're weird. Some of your mates think you're weird. And they're put off your God because you are weird. I think you're weird. <laughs> what does it look like to be a credible follower of Jesus in the workplace? Okay, one thing is you'd be true to your word. Did you know that God doesn't lie? So in your workplace, you are aware of his presence and you start reflecting what he's like by You become true to your word. You say, I'll do that, and you do that. Cool little story by a man called Gibbo, who died in 1990. And he worked for the Selfridge Company. And the story goes that uh, as a young man, he worked in the office alongside Gordon Selfridge himself. And on that particular day, there was a phone call came in, and uh, someone said, can I speak to Mr. Selfridge, please? And he said, let me just check and see if he's available. So he went and interrupted Mr. Selfridge. And Gordon Selfridge said, tell him I'm not here. And Gibbo took the telephone and handed it to Gordon Selfridge and says, you tell him you're not here yourself. (laughs) So Mr. Selfridge took the phone conversation and he had the conversation and he hung up and he turned to Gibbo and he went ballistic at him and said, don't you ever do that to me again. What on earth are you playing at? And and Gibbo said this, Sir, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. And from that moment forwards, Gordon Selfridge trusted Gibbo 100% and promoted him and actually involved him in many of the big decisions when he needed someone he trusted to tell him the truth. You've got to be true to your word. The other thing I think would have been manifest in Joseph's life is he was in this situation, in bad situations, Potiphar's house, in the prison. But when God's in your life, the way you view human beings is different. They're not just things, they're, they're trust, they're loving things, things, objects of love, objects that you know that God created in his image in you. And I, I reckon that from Joseph would have been a, a love and an empathy for his fellow human beings in those tough situations. I think that would have emanated from him. Anyone watch The Apprentice? No. Sorry, you're all Christians. You don't watch stuff like that. Well, apparently there's this program called The Apprentice, I've been told by non-Christian friends. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, you, you all watch The Apprentice, you're sinners. Right. In, in The Apprentice, you see the guys at the beginning, and they're all like, oh, yeah, I'm totally the best at everything in the whole world ever. Like, I'm like Jesus the carpenter. I'm such a good worker. They, they, they come in like, with all this stuff. And then you see them in the tasks, and they're rubbish. They're absolutely rubbish. They say things like, oh yeah, I fight my way to the top and no one gets, in, no, no one gets ahead. You know, I'll, always, I'll come up from behind and jump ahead. And, you know, they're saying all this kind of tripe. And you see them just failing. And I think to myself, if I was Alan Sugar, I wouldn't want any of them working for me. What a nightmare they'd be. I mean, they'd be like, trampling on their colleagues and whenever you're around, they'd be like that. 
You know, but then behind the scenes, they're getting on each other. They'd be an absolute nightmare. Nightmare. It's not just it's not the way you do business. It doesn't even work in the secular world. There was a similar show where Richard Branson was looking for a kind of apprentice. And I don't know if anyone saw that. Uh, show, I won't even ask you, because you never respond to anything I ask you from the front. You're like, that's kind of weird. But I just get on with it and just keep preaching. I've got, got, done this for years. You just sit there, I have a conversation with myself. Ah. Richard Branson was in the taxi cab at the start of this show. And this shows when the people were getting collected and taken to where the show was happening. And Richard Branson disguised himself as a cabbie and drove the taxi to take the people, the contestants to their first uh, task. And it was interesting how each of the contestants treated the cabbie. And then when they all arrived expecting Richard Branson to come, the cabbie stood forward and it was like a Mission Impossible moment. <sighs> pulled his face, it's another secular film, uh, pulled his face off and there was Richard Branson and some of them were really shamed because they knew how kind of like riffraff they treated this taxi cab driver. You start treating other people with respect. There were certain attributes in Joseph's life that said, the Lord is with him. It wasn't some aura. It wasn't that he walked around saying, praise the Lord. It was that he was grounded, folks. He was true to his word. He treated people with respect. He acted like Jesus. Tip number six, be faithful with the small. How do you get promoted? Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 25, 23. You have been faithful with a few things I will put you in charge of many things. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted in very little can also be trusted in much. Whoever is dishonest in very little will also be dishonest in much. Just be faithful. It might not be your ideal role. It might not be your ideal job, but it's what you've got. Now be incredibly faithful with that and see what God does. It's a principle. You might be unemployed today. Did you know that you may be unemployed by men, but you are not unemployed by God? He has still got a calling for your life. Volunteer your time. Come volunteer at church. Be faithful in voluntary roles as if you were being paid. Volunteer in the company you want to get a job with. Just don't be doing nothing. We have a member of our church who never comes. She's called Yvonne. She's paralyzed. She lives just a mile away from here. She came once and she gave her life to the Lord. And since then, Anne and others have kept the friendship going. But you know what she does? She can't do much. But she counsels people over the phone. She's a counselor. Be faithful with what you can do and see how God will bless you. And then he moves to the last stage in his life and it's the palace. Let's read the verses. Now we're on to Genesis 40, verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. And the king of Egypt, uh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh was angry with the two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. These two men, the, the baker and the cupbearer, were there with Joseph. On one particular occasion, they had dreams. The next morning, they were troubled by the dreams. Joseph asked them what the situation was. They described their dreams to Joseph, and I'm summing this all up. 
But the long and short of it is that Joseph gave them both predictions. To one, he said to the cupbearer, in three days' time, you will be brought out of prison and you'll be restored to your job with Pharaoh as his cupbearer. And to the baker, he said, in three days' time, you will be killed. Right? It wasn't the prophecy you wanted, but it was the one Joseph, and, it, and exactly as God said it would happen is exactly how it happens. That the baker was restored, sorry, killed, and the cupbearer was restored to his job. And here's a key. Number seven, flow with God at work. I know you think the gifts of the Holy Spirit are just for Sunday gatherings or small group gatherings where you can bring a prophecy to someone or get a word of knowledge for someone. But I believe that you can operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your secular workplaces, bringing words from the Lord to people. You don't need to say, that says the Lord before it. They might not appreciate that. But you might just want to say, is this a situation in your life? I saw this when I worked at the architect's office. I mean, just different occasions. I remember one time, prayed for our cleaner. We had one of the big townhouses in the new town. And the cleaner, this guy called John, lives in the Gorgie area, actually, had arthritis in his knees. He would climb up and down the stairs at Reakin Hall, cleaning the place and tied. And at the end of every time, at the end of every day, he was in. And everyone knew him. He's one of the lads. And he came along to our Easter Sunday gatherings. And I prayed for his knees and God completely healed his knees. Monday morning, he came into the office and I was telling everyone, I went to this church. God healed my knees. And this was John saying, this wasn't Peter saying this. This was John saying this. They were blown away. But why can't God invade your workplace? Why can't God turn up and use you? Flow with God. Verse 20. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast to all his officials. And he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. So he was at once put again into the, the cup into Pharaoh's hands. But he impaled the chief baker. Because ju- just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And this, folks, is tip number eight. Do not allow bitterness into your soul. Here was Joseph. He had said to these guys, this is exactly what's going to happen. Here's the interpretation to your dreams. He said to the chief cupbearer, when this comes to pass, remember me. Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of this situation. It's interesting. You try and take matters into your own hands. You try and jump the process. You try and make it happen by yourself. And what happens is the miracle happens, the dream's fulfilled, and the cupbearer forgets Joseph. Joseph had every reason to be bitter. He was overlooked. Have you ever been overlooked in your workplace? Someone else got the promotion you should have got, you feel. Someone else got the opportunity you should have been presented with. Some of you can allow that to become a bitterness in your soul. And this chief chief cupbearer had now forgotten him. And Joseph needed someone to remember him. He'd been rejected by his brothers. He'd been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And now he was forgotten by a man he brought a prophecy to. Anything could have happened in this man's soul. But you know, if he'd allowed bitterness into his soul, it would have crippled his ability to be effective. Read this verse with me. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. One, two, three. Watch over your heart 
with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Life is not what happens to you. Life is what flows from you. You've got to watch your heart with all diligence. If you allow a seed of bitterness into your soul, it will cripple your ability to live the life that God's calling you to live. Guard your heart with all diligence. Let's go back to the verses. Now into chapter 41, verse 1. When two years had passed, Pharaoh, it's two years later, folks. He's been 11 years at Potiphar's house. He's been now two years in prison. When two years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile and went out of the river. When out of the river came seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. The cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. This is a really weird dream. Then Pharaoh woke up. Phew. (laughs) Then he fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east winds. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy and full heads, and then Joseph woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told him his dream, but no one could interpret it for them. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today am I reminded of my shortcomings. And at that point, he reminded Pharaoh of a man called Joseph. And he brought Joseph from the prison to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And Joseph stands before Pharaoh in verse 28, it says, God has shown Pharaoh, this is Joseph speaking, what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the lands. The abundance of the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is because the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners to take over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food from those seven good years and store them up, in, uh, store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept for the city, in the cities of foods. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come to Egypt so that the country will not be ruined through the famine. The plans seem good to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made known this, all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Isn't that nuts? Isn't that incredible? Just in one moment, he's gone from 13 years of obscurity in a prison, before that, as a slave, Now he's basically prime minister under the monarchy of which is, at the time, Egypt was the world's superpower of the day. Joseph is now prime minister of Egypt. That's incredible. Some of you think, I cannot get a job because of my criminal records. Joseph went from prison to prime minister. With God, nothing is impossible. I know there are restrictions in life. But with God, there's no restrictions. 
Joseph was a foreigner, and he did really well in Egypt. You may have come from another country, and it seems like the system's all stacked up against you. God is not restricted. God is able to provide for you even when the system is prejudiced against you. Tip number nine, understand God has a bigger agenda for your life. Joseph, he's now 30 years old, 11 years in Pharaoh's, uh, he spent 11 years in Potiphar's house and two years in prison. He's, he was 17 when he came to Egypt at first. Age 17, he had all these dreams. He was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. He had dreams of how God was going to use him to make a difference in the world. And here he was now 13 years later, and it seems like he's been punched and winded. And yet he's still got these dreams, and now he's become the prime minister. And now all of a sudden, the dreams he'd had as a teenager made complete sense. Why Potiphar prison to prime minister? Why that journey? Why not just skip the Potiphar prison bit? Just give me the prime minister bit. Give me the palace. Give me a response. Just get me right there straight away. But that's not what God does. God is committed to this thing called preparation in your life. Jesus had three years of ministry and with those three years transformed the world. And yet he was 30 years in preparation. That's the son of God. David became the king of Israel, but he spent the decade before that in a wilderness on the run for his life. Joseph had this journey as well. Preparation is the rule, not the exception. If you have a dream, a call of God in your life, do not be surprised if you sometimes face wildernesses and challenging times that God allows in your life. God is with you. Keep the good attitude. Keep walking with him, and he will bring you out because it's all about preparation for what God has called you to do in the years ahead. One calling, many jobs. That's what it's going to be like in your life. God has an overarching calling for your life. No job is your ultimate identity. God's your identity. You walk with him. The jobs will come and go. But as you walk with him, he will bring you out on top. And here's the thing. Joseph's life, the bigger agenda was this. God had a big plan for him. Joseph couldn't see it all the time, but preparation was essential and the same for you as well. And tip number 10 is this. Understand God's bigger agenda for the world. See, this wasn't just about Joseph. Because Joseph was now prime minister, you read on in the chapters in Genesis, you discover that God used Joseph to literally save thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people from death during the famine. He sent Joseph to be the rescuer for thousands of people. He, he also was the rescuer by which his own family was rescued. It was also the means by which God was to introduce eventually Jesus into the world through an Israelite woman called Mary. Joseph, there was a bigger agenda behind his life. Your job is more than paying bills. Your job is more than just ticking over so you can exist on earth. Your job is so that you can be an influence. And sometimes that's just unimpressive, one life at a time. But nevertheless, your job is there to make a difference. Love what it says in Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. You know, if you've, you've, you've been a, a thief, get a job and give something away. Isn't that amazing? Don't work for a living. 
work for a giving. It's not about you taking over and paying your bills. It's about you making a difference in this world. And here, this is the bigger agenda behind your life. I was preaching uh, last year up in Perth, and at the end of the service, one of the guys who goes to the church there is a guy called Brian Sutter. He runs stagecoach buses. And Brian, he's, he's got a beard, he kind of jeans on, and he just blends into the background, just an ordinary guy. And yet, this guy has given away nearly, as far as I know, a billion pounds to causes that are making a difference all around the world. He gave at least two million to Jam that we support as they feed thousands of kids in Africa every day, making a huge difference. And yet Brian Souter started out just as a bus conductor in Glasgow, in the east end of Glasgow, just being faithful with what God had given him. Your life is not just here to exist and pay the bills. Your life is here to make an eternal difference. So I'm just going to bring it to a close just now. That's my advice. Go live a great life in your workplace. Now, some of you, you are a success at work, but you don't have God. And that's, I rejoice with you that you are a success. But I, I grieve for you that you don't have God. Because I have to tell you, without God, you have nothing. I got to know my father-in-law 17 years ago. A nice man, a good man, a church-going man, a man who had a sort of faith in God. But it didn't really move him. He, he was religious And in these 17 years I've got to know him, he's gone from being a successful businessman with a vague religious background to being a successful businessman with a deep faith in God. He died a believer in Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. It's all about you and God. And that should just affect your workplace. So if you're a success at work and you haven't got God, I'm pleased for you in some regards, but I ache for your soul because you don't have God. You need Jesus, the Savior who died on the cross and rose again. And some of you here as well, some of you have done it all wrong. Some of you have had the bad attitudes. With Potiphar's wife, you were the one who slept with her. You, you ended up having, dragging your heels in the situation. The good choices Joseph made are not the good choices you made. You've actually failed time after time. You've been sacked in numerous places. You can't hold jobs down because of your filthy attitudes. You're not this person described here. You're just living a sinful life. You're just a mess. I want to say to you, as well as to the success, you need God. You need God. More than you need a job, you need God. You need God paramount and center in your life. When God's at the helm, everything else changes. But God being at the helm is the essential thing. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this awesome people. I love these people here, God. I thank you that you love them, Lord. God, I thank you for every person who gathers here today, Lord. You, I know you have a plan for their lives. I know you have a, an eternal plan that's bigger than they could ever comprehend. They're going into their day-by-day -day existence, God, but you've got a much bigger plan than they've ever comprehended. I pray today, God, as we've learned from Joseph, that we will be inspired and empowered by God 
to live lives of influence and to live lives that make a difference in our workplace. Lord, I pray for everyone here, Lord. I pray that your grace would flow in people's lives who need to know your grace. That your challenge would come to those who need to be challenged. That the love of God would permeate every soul. Just take a moment in his presence just to reflect on what you've heard and to respond to God. No point in hearing things unless you let them affect you. So hear hear what you've heard and now respond to God. Make some decisions. Ask Him for help. While people are doing that, I want to give you an opportunity today if you've never committed your life to God, you've never given Him your everything. That is the most important thing of all things in life. Today, my father-in-law is with Jesus Christ in eternity, not because he was a good man, although he was a great man. He's in eternity because Jesus is a great Savior. And he wants to be your great savior today as well. So today, if you don't know God, why not put your trust in Jesus who died for you and rose again right now? I'm going to help you do it very simply. I invite you to pray this prayer after me one line at a time and let this be your commitment to him. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising again the third day. Thank you, you're alive right now. Jesus, thanks when you died on the cross, you took all my sin and all my shame. You died so I could have a new life. And I so believe you're alive right now. And today, I put my trust in you. Jesus, from now on, be Lord of my life. And I will be your follower. Thanks for hearing my prayer.